castle stands in darkness, with the exception of the glimmer from the moonlight that highlights the top of the ancient ramparts. As you approach the dried up moat, you hear the sound of horses in the distance that seem to be growing closer. You look around to find the source of the sound and suddenly a soldier riding a horse runs past and jumps into the moat. You look into the moat and there is no sign of the soldier or the horse. Welcome to Ghost Tales by the Fireside. I'm Clem Dalloway and I'll be telling you about the hauntings of Berry Pomeroy Castle in Devon, England. An ancient part of land that belonged to two distinguished medieval families, the Pomeroys and the Seymours. After Duke William of Normandy defeated the Saxon King Harold in the Battle of Hastings of 1066, he gave land to many of the nobles who helped him gain control of England. One of those nobles was Ralph de Pomeraria from La Pomeray, Nifelle in France, one of William's most trusted knights. The Saxons rose up against William the Conqueror but they were defeated when his nobles stopped the rebellion so he could claim the crown. William was crowned King of England on Christmas Day on that same year. Ralph de Pomeria was given the manor of Berry in Devon and his descendants remained there until 1547 when the land was sold to Edward Seymour. Berry Pomeroy is 20 miles south from the city of Exeter and two miles east from the town of Totnes, west of Totnes Castle, the head of the feudal barony of Totnes. The feudal barony of Totnes was one of eight feudal baronies in Devon. One of them was Berry Pomeroy. There was no record of a castle until 1496, where Elizabeth, the widow of Richard Pomeroy, was assigned a third of the castle and its capital. The document mentions two different sites, the castle and another house, which is thought to be on the site of Berry House in the nearby village. The castle had a dry moat, state house with ramparts, surrounded by a wall, which would have had buildings attached to them on the inside for various work positions. And it replaced a previous wooden structure. Edward Seymour, the first Duke of Somerset, bought the land in 1547. But after his execution for treason at Tower Hill on the 22nd of January, 1552, the castle was left to his heir, who made plans to renovate the castle into an exceptionally grand house and work started in 1560. Around 1600, one of Edward's descendants decided to extend the property, but it was never completed and was left abandoned. In the 18th century, the ruined castle became a popular tourist attraction, 
well known for its picturesque views. In the 18th century, the ruined castle became a popular tourist attraction, well known for its picturesque views. The Seymour family had worked under the castle to make some of the walls safe, as it had been in ruin for around 100 years. A huge archaeological excavation was performed between 1980 and 1996, which clarified its history and age. Today the Grade 1 castle is still owned by the descendants of Edward Seymour, the 19th Duke of Somerset, John Seymour, but the property is administered by English Heritage. In the 12th century, the Barons of Pomeroy were very powerful and were on the side of Prince John when he went against his brother, Richard I, the Lionheart. When news arrived that Richard had returned from the Crusades, the barons ordered that their horses were to be blindfolded, the soldiers dress in full armour and ride into the moat to meet a gruesome ending. The ghosts of horses mounted by soldiers have been seen many times riding through the castle grounds, and some very interesting photographs have been taken in recent years, showing the misty shape of a horse. The ghosts of two women have been seen in and around the castle. One wearing a blue dress, the other in white. These are believed to be the earthbound spirits of two sisters, Margaret and Eleanor Pomeroy, daughters of one of the great Pomeroy barons. While their father was fighting away in a war, they were left at the castle and both had fallen in love with the same man. Eleanor was very jealous of Margaret, as she believed that she was much more beautiful, so she plotted her murder. They were never allowed to go in the dungeons when their father was around, so Eleanor asked Margaret to accompany her to go and see them. As they approached, Margaret innocently walked in, and Eleanor slammed the door shut and locked her in. Even though she could hear Margaret crying and screaming, she ignored her and walked away. One account tells that she was left to starve to death, and another account says she was held there for 19 years before she died. The tower above where the dungeon lies is now known as Margaret's Tower, in tribute to this sad turn of events. Dogs and children are known not to go near the tower to this day. She's the figure that has been seen wearing a white gown with flowing golden hair. The following extract is from a book called Haunted Homes and Family Traditions of Great Britain by John Ingram from 1897, which is available online in the public domain. Somewhat more than a century ago, Dr. Walter Farquhar, who was created a baronet in 1796, made a temporary sojourn in Torquay. 
This physician was quite a young man at the time and had not acquired the reputation which, after his settlement in London, procured him in the confidence and even friendship of royalty. One day, during his stay in Devon, he was summoned professionally to Berry Pomeroy Castle, a portion of which the building was still occupied by a steward and his wife. The latter was seriously ill, and it was to see her that he'd been called in. Previous to seeing his patient, Dr. Farquhar was shown into the outer apartment and requested to remain there until she was prepared to see him. This apartment was large and ill-proportioned. Around it ran richly carved panels of oak that age had changed to the hue of ebony. The only light in the room was admitted through the checkered panes of a gorgeously stained window in which were emblazoned the arms of the former lords of Berry Pomeroy. In one corner to the right of the wide fireplace, says the narrative attributed to the doctor, was a flight of dark oaken steps forming part of a staircase leading apparently to some chamber above. And on these stairs, the fading gleams of summer's twilight shone through. While Dr. Farquhar wondered, and if the truth be told, chafed at the delay which had been interposed between him and his patient, the door opened and a female somewhat richly dressed entered the apartment. He, supposing her to be one of the family, advanced to meet her. Unheeding him, she crossed the room with a hurried step, wringing her hands and exhibiting by her motions the deepest distress. When she reached the foot of the stairs, she paused for an instant and then began to ascend them with the same hasty step and agitated demeanour. As she reached the highest stair, the light fell strongly on her features and displayed a countenance, youthful indeed, and beautiful, but in which vice and despair strove for mastery. If ever human face, to use the doctor's own words, exhibited agony and remorse, if ever I, that index of the soul, portrayed anguish uncheered by hope and suffering without interval, if ever features betrayed that within the wearer's bosom there dwelt a hell. Those features and that being were present, and that being were then present to me. Before he could make up his mind on the nature of this strange occurrence, he was summoned to the bedside of his patient. He found the lady so ill as to require his undivided attention and had no opportunity, and in fact no wish, to ask any questions which bore on a different subject to her illness. But on the following morning, when he repeated his visit, and found the sufferer materially better, he communicated what he had witnessed to the husband, and expressed a wish for some explanation. The steward's countenance fell during the physician's narrative and at its close he mournfully ejaculated, My poor wife, my poor wife, why 
how does this relation affect her? Much, much, replied the steward, vehemently, that it should have come to this. I cannot, cannot lose her. You know not, he continued in a milder tone. The strange, sad history, and his lordship is extremely averse to any allusion, being ever made to the circumstance, or any importance attached to it. But I must, and I will, out with it. The figure which you saw is supposed to represent the daughter of a former baron of Berry Pomeroy, who bore a child to her own father. In that chamber above us, the fruit of their incestuous intercourse was strangled by its guilty mother. And whenever death is about to visit the inmates of the castle, she is seen wending her way to the scene of her crimes with the frenzied gestures you describe. The day my son was drowned, she was observed, and now my wife. I assure you she is better. The most alarming symptoms have given way, and all immediate danger is at an end. I have lived in and near the castle thirty years, was the steward's desponding reply, and never knew the omen fail. Arguments on omens are absurd, said the doctor rising to take his leave. A few days, however, will, I trust, verify my prognostics and see Mrs. S. recovered. They parted mutually dissatisfied. The lady died at noon. Many years intervened and brought with them many changes. The doctor rose rapidly and deservedly into repute became the favourite physician and ever personal friend of the Prince Regent, was created a baronet and ranked among the highest authorities in the medical world. When he was at the zenith of his professional career, a lady called on him to consult him about her sister, whom she described as sinking, overcome and heartbroken by a supernatural appearance. I am aware of the apparent absurdity of the details which I am about to give, she began. But the case will be unintelligible to you, Sir Walter, without them. While residing at Torquay last summer, we drove over one morning to visit the splendid remains of Berry Pomeroy Castle. The steward was very ill at the time. He died, in fact, while we were going over to the ruins and there was some difficulty in getting the keys. While my brother and I went in search of them, my sister was left alone for a few moments in a large room on the ground floor. And while there, most absurd fancy. She has persuaded herself she saw a female enter and pass her in a state of indescribable distress. This spectre, I suppose I must call her, horridly alarmed her. Its features and gestures have made an impression, she says, which no time can efface. I am well aware of what you will say, that nothing can be more preposterous. We have tried to rally her out of it, but the more heartily we laugh at her folly, the more agitated and excited does she become. In fact, 
I fear we have aggravated her disorder by the scorn with which we have treated it. For my own part, I am satisfied with her impressions, are erroneous, and arise entirely from a depraved state of the bodily organs. We wish for your opinion, and are most anxious you should visit her without delay. Madam, I will make point of seeing your sister immediately, but it is no delusion. This is, I think it proper, to state most positively, and previous to any interview. I myself saw the same figure, under somewhat similar circumstances, and about the same hour of day, and I should decidedly oppose any raillery or incredulity being expressed on the subject in your sister's presence. Sir Walter saw the young lady the next day, and after being for a short time under his care, she recovered. Our authority from the above account of how Berry Pomeroy Castle is haunted derived it from Sir Walter Farquhar, who was even more noted for his probity and veracity than for his professional attainments, high as they were rated. The story has been told as nearly as possible in Sir Walter's own words. Eleanor is believed to be the lady in the blue dress, who is said to lure people to the tower. If they go to the tower, she'll make them fall to their death. Thank you for listening to Ghost Tales by the Fireside. You can log on to the Facebook page, facebook.com Ghost Tales Podcast, or search for Ghost Tales by the Fireside Podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Ghost Tales Podcast. This podcast will be out monthly and is available on most podcast platforms. All music, research, writing, production, art and sound effects are my own work.